Hello again. We're so happy you've returned to join us for session three in the Sabbath practice. You are halfway through the four-week journey of learning the ancient practice of stopping, resting, delighting, and worshipping that we call Sabbath. Week three is my personal favorite because the next movement is delight. But before the teaching, to say it again, at Practicing the Way, we believe that to become more like Jesus, we need more than just teaching. We also need practice and community to create space for God to get the ideas of the way of Jesus into our bodies and life all together. It's kind of like learning to drive or learning a new instrument. At first, it's awkward, but over time, it becomes second nature. The idea is for the teachings of Jesus to get worked into us like that. So let's begin in triads, just two or three people. Take time to reflect together on this past week's Sabbath. You may want to pull out your practice reflection and read it to one another. Here are a few questions to frame your conversation. Number one, where did you feel resistance in your Sabbath practice? Number two, where did you feel delight? And number three, where do you most experience God's nearness? Take a few minutes to talk and then we'll continue our practice. Because the world is full of ugly things, we need the Sabbath to feed our soul with beauty. So said the pastor Timothy Keller of New York City, and it's true. The world is full of ugliness, but it's also full of goodness. In the Genesis story, we read, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. The Hebrew word translated good is tov, and it can also be translated beautiful. But all too often, the goodness and beauty of life with God in his world is eclipsed by what the New Testament writer Paul calls the kingdom of darkness, the fallout of a post-Eden world. Of course, this is significantly exacerbated by the digital age. Through the 24-7 news cycle, we are force-fed a steady diet of fear and rage. The news is biased, not left or right, but down to the worst things in the world. And through social media, we are living in the epitome of Teddy Roosevelt's line about how comparison is the thief of joy. We are constantly exposed to a curated vision of another person's happiness. All we see is what they have, but we don't have. But even if we could travel back in time to a pre-digital, pre-24-7 news world, we would not find utopia. We would find a world without modern medicine or sanitation or steady food supply, where famine, plague, and war regularly tore through society, where life expectancy was decades lower than it is today, where it was normal to lose loved ones, especially children, or to be widowed and left bereft. Much of the world still is this way. My point is, the digital age distorts our vision of the world to make life look a lot worse than it actually is. But even if we could see the world accurately, it would still be full of ugly things. 
Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Notice the verb, will have trouble. You see, trouble, and with it, sorrow, is inevitable in life. No matter your genetic wiring, if you have a sunny disposition and you're a glass-half-full kind of personality, or if you win the circumstance lotto and end up healthy, wealthy, and wise, still, you will have trouble. Time and chance happen to us all, as Ecclesiastes says. But sorrow is not the whole story in the human experience. Jesus also said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Other translations have, that your joy may overflow. You know that feeling when you are so full of joy that you can't contain it all? It's like it has to spill out in a shout, or a laugh, or a dance, or a round of applause. That level of joy is Jesus' will for your life as his apprentice. The problem is, sorrow is inevitable in life, but joy is not. Sorrow will come to visit your life with or without your permission, but joy we have to choose and to keep choosing it over and over again. In scripture, the word joy is both a noun and a verb, which is translated into English as the verb rejoice, but more literally means to joy. In an in-depth biblical theology of joy, you discover that joy is a feeling, a condition, and a discipline. It's, first of all, a feeling. Contrary to what you hear in church circles, that happiness and joy are not the same thing, that happiness is based on your circumstances, but joy is not, if you do a careful word study on joy and happiness in Scripture, you find they are used interchangeably. Yes, there is a joy from God that goes beyond our circumstances, but there's also a joy that we experience when life is as it should be, that feeling in your body when all is well. But joy is also a condition or a character trait. It's not just a feeling that comes and goes. It's the kind of person we become through following Jesus. In Galatians 5, joy is the second fruit of the Spirit after love. In classical language, it's a virtue, just like wisdom or courage or fortitude, and it must be developed as such, which is why joy is also a discipline. There are times when joy is easy, the natural emotional response to the circumstances of your life. On your wedding day, when you receive good news, the first sunny, warm day of spring, and there are times when joy is a sheer act of obedience to Jesus, a discipline to index your heart toward the good. Richard Foster called this the discipline of celebration. And he said, the discipline to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It's not something that falls on our head. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. Sabbath is a discipline of celebration and a delivery mechanism for joy. It is one of the most important disciplines by which we become people who are full of joy all week long. To recap the last two sessions, the four movements of Sabbath are stop, rest, delight, and worship. The first two are more about what we don't do. The second two are more about what we do do. Next up is delight. Take a look again with me at Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Read along. Genesis 1. 
God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested or Sabbathed from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he Sabbathed from all the work of creating that he had done. As you know by now, the word translated rested is Shabbat in Hebrew. And while it literally means to stop or to rest, it also has this idea that God delighted in all of his work. The idea here behind the text isn't that God was burned out and needed a break. No, it's more like the feeling you get after a long, hard day of working in the yard where you get it all cleaned up and beautiful and then you call it a day, you take a shower, wipe the grime off and you just sit down on your back deck and enjoy it. You just savor the work of your hands. Or that feeling when you complete a work project that was months long and you throw a party with your team to celebrate. Or if you're a caregiver, you finish a hard season with the person that you love and you get to just breathe for a while and feel that happiness. That's the feeling of Sabbath. Notice also that God blessed the Sabbath day. The word there is barak in Hebrew. To barak can be translated to bless, but it can also be translated to make happy. The Sabbath is a happy day. An entire 24-hour time period set aside to follow God's example, to stop, rest, yes, and to delight in God's world, to let your mind focus on all that is very good in the earth, all that is tov, to curate a view of the world with special attention to the good, the beautiful, and the true to delight in your life in God's world. It's so easy to lose sight of just how much goodness is all around us. Neuroscientists tell us the mind is drawn to the negative over the positive at a rate of something like 14 to 1. On the Sabbath, we mitigate against this survival instinct in our brain, and we remember, as the Sabbath command has it, just how many blessings populate our life. Finally, we delight in God himself and the access we have through Jesus' death and resurrection and the coming of the Spirit into the inner life of the Trinity. Via the practices, all of them, but especially the Sabbath, we get to participate in the flow of love and joy and peace between the Father and the Son and the Spirit just by setting our life before God and lifting up our heart to Him in prayer. Many of us, to be honest, have yet to learn how to enjoy God. Believe in him, yes, check the box. Learn from him, okay, take notes. Fear him, obey him even, but delight in him? But the longer I follow Jesus, the more of my life I give to prayer and to Sabbath, the more I realize how incredibly good God is. He radiates joy from his inner person. And as we draw near to God, we draw near to all that our heart is aching for, full delight. Of course, few of us have the capacity for that level of delight. The psychologist Dan Allender in his book on the Sabbath, which is our recommended reading, has this insight. The Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. 
The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in all its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. Or if that wasn't enough for you, take a look at this from the theologian Marva Dawn in her book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy. Observing the Sabbath gives us the opportunity to be as careful as we can to fill our lives with beauty and to share beauty with the world around us. When we observe a day especially set apart for beauty, all the rest of life is made more beautiful. Is the picture coming into focus for you? Sabbath is not a dreary religious obligation, but a life-giving day of delight. Now, how do we practice Sabbath delight? This kind of joy is so against the flow, not only of our culture, but even against the neurobiological wiring of our own brain. Well, a few thoughts. First, we have to slow down. Hurry and joy are incompatible. To actually delight as God intended will demand that we slow down and savor the goodness of each moment. To be honest, this is very hard for me. By nature, I am always in a hurry. I'm type A, I'm impatient, I'm in a busy season of life, I have a family and teenagers and a career, but I am in the process of relearning from Jesus how to walk at a slower pace. Secondly, it will require us to put boundaries around our day. To enter Sabbath delight will require us to say no to some things in order to say yes to joy. Marva Dawn writes about how we don't know how to feast because we don't know how to fast, meaning we don't know how to savor each bite of food because a lot of us, and I'm guilty as charged here, overeat all week long. We don't know how to savor a good film because we binge watch TV every night. We don't know how to savor our closest relationships because we're overcommitted and overtired. Part of Sabbath is learning how to slow down the pace of our overall life to live with moderation during the week in order to turn Sabbath into a celebration. But this will require boundaries during the week and on the Sabbath. A good beginning place for your Sabbath practice is to make two lists, a I will list and I will not list. In my family, it's we will sleep, we will pray, we'll be together with kin and community, we will celebrate, all of that. We will not go shopping. We will not do work around the house. We will not read the news. We will not watch TV. You have to make your own list. These rules are not burdens, but boundaries to guard and protect the Sabbath day from all that is ugly and sad and untrue, and to replace it with beauty and joy and life with God and one another. Finally, and most importantly, it will require you to give yourself to joy. Rabbi Reb Zelman recommends you begin the Sabbath by saying, Today I am going to pamper my soul. 
For those of you new to Sabbath, a great question to ask yourself and to give shape to your practice as you're choosing those activities is just this. What could I do for a 24-hour period of time that would bring me deep, visceral joy in God? Psychologists have a great label for when you save up a bunch of your favorite experiences for a single moment or a day, such as your birthday or anniversary or a special vacation. They call it pleasure stacking. The Sabbath is a day for pleasure stacking. In our home, there are special foods that we only eat on the Sabbath. It's the night that we always have dessert. Our closest friends come over. I let myself read fiction and poetry during the day. We just pamper our soul. There are all sorts of traditional Sabbath activities that you can adopt to delight. Feasting is by far the most popular. Community, just to get with people you love. Family, gratitude, which is a practice by which we focus on what we have, not on what we need or want. And as a result, we realize just how rich our life is. Play, you can make a strong case that Sabbath is a day for play. Making love to your spouse. In the Talmud, there's a command for every married couple to make love every single Friday night. Some of you are saying, I'm into the Sabbath. Nature, anything beautiful, from forest trails to flower petals, all of it is fodder to beautify your soul. And there's so much more. But one of the best ways to do this is through the Sabbath meal. In a traditional Jewish Sabbath, this is on Friday night. In a common Christian home, it's on a Sunday afternoon after church. Both are great. In my family, every Friday night, we do it on Fridays, we host a Sabbath meal. It's our family plus about half a dozen or more of our closest friends who are like kin to us. We all begin the Sabbath together. Christian and Yinka, who were just on before me, literally keep slippers in our coat closet. We start with a Sabbath box where we all put our phones and our devices and our wallets away. Then we take a minute in the quiet and we write out any of our anxieties, sorrows, or unfinished tasks from the week on little scraps of paper. And then we just kind of pray together and prayerfully put them away in the box as a way of saying, all right, I'm setting that aside for the Sabbath. Then we sit down at the table. We light the candles, remember and observe. We pour the wine. I bless my children. We look deep into each other's eyes and faces around the table and we bless one another. We read a psalm and then we just invite the spirit of the living God to come and pasture us into rest. And then we feast. Oh my goodness, we eat so good. Every week, my wife makes the best homemade sourdough bread you have ever had in your life. As we eat, we go around the table and share our highlight of the week just to curate joy. After the meal, we sit around the fire and we share this little practice called dayanu, which is a Hebrew word that roughly is translated as, it would have been enough, but. And we just all fill out that sentence. It would have been enough to have bread and water, but you gave us tonight's feast. Again, we're just trying to curate joy. There is inevitably dance music that comes on at some point, not because of me, but because I have teenagers. Or a guitar comes out and they're singing. It is a weekly celebration of goodness and beauty. Most weeks, that night, it's about four, five, or even more hours long. That Sabbath mealtime is the highlight, not only of the Sabbath, but of the entire week. Something really good has to happen to beat out our Sabbath meal. Of course... The honest truth is, sadness will come, even on the Sabbath. And often on the Sabbath, we have space in the quiet to breathe 
And in that space and that quiet, often feelings that we've been running away from all week long catch up to us. I call this the Sabbath sadness. The key is not to fight the Sabbath sadness or let it throw you off. Sabbath isn't working. I don't like this. But rather to accept it, to let it roll over you like a wave in the ocean. Jesus' desire for us is not to bypass our pain or to get stuck in it, but to go through it and in time come out the other side. This is the death and resurrection pattern laid down by Jesus himself. Delight is not a denial of pain. It is the determination to move through pain courageously and honestly and patiently and into joy. This is why the Sabbath comes every seven days, to remind us of the goodness and the beauty of our life with God in all of the seasons of our lives, including the ones that don't feel very good. Unlike other practices or spiritual disciplines, the timing of the Sabbath is set by God himself, not by our own inner spiritual clock that tells us the need of the hour. I think I need to read scripture or pray right now. Sabbath comes at the end of a great week and at the end of a lousy one. When we finished all of our to-do list, ah, I love that feeling, and when we are woefully behind in summer and in winter, when we have more than enough and in times of scarcity, when all is well, and when our life is falling apart. And the Sabbath comes to remind us, it's okay that we're not okay. In those seasons of the dark night, where our prayers are unanswered, our dreams have been crushed, when we feel God's absence more than his presence, the Sabbath comes, and with it, a sense of peace and of trust in God despite our circumstances, not because of them, teaching us to delight and even to be happy in all the seasons of our lives, or as Paul said, to rejoice in the Lord always. And this is the invitation of Jesus to come and find rest for your souls, to follow his six and one rhythm of work and rest. There is a time to work and sweat and fast and lament, and there is a time to stop and rest and feast and delight as an act of defiance against all that is evil. To end, let me read over you a promise of God from the prophet Isaiah. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, And from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." We have a lot to talk about this week. Let's take a little time as a community to reflect on the teaching. What stood out to you? What's going through your brain or body right now? Once you debrief, here's three discussion questions to talk through. Number one, does joy come more naturally to you or is it more of a struggle for your personality? Number two, what did you think of Marva Dawn's claim that we don't know how to feast because we don't know how to fast? 
In what ways would the rest of your week need to change to set apart the Sabbath as a special day of delight? And third, are you in a season of joy or sorrow or both? What does Sabbath keeping feel like for you at this moment in your life? Take a few minutes for conversation. So my name is Jaron Oda, and my Sabbath rhythm usually looks like a Google Calendar indicator going off saying, bring the chips and guac, or bring a bottle of wine at around 5.30 p.m. on Friday. So I go ahead and I do that. I head over to this family's home who's become literally like a second ohana to me. So I've been doing Sabbath with them for a couple years. And I'll walk in there with my goodies, and we'll welcome one another. And then uh, the first, and I think one of the most important things we've been doing is literally taking off things like our watches or our phones, things that would remind us of stuff that we need to accomplish or produce or remind us of even honestly the anxieties or things that are going on in our lives and literally set it aside in this box. And we even have a chance to like write down things that our minds maybe have been ruminating on from the week and get a chance to write our fears, write our anxieties and write our worries and leave them in the box for a time. And that box goes away and then we get a chance to read a psalm together around the dinner table with some candles that are lit and share a wonderful meal that everyone's contributed towards. And that usually leads us into just unstructured time of conversation and relationship where we get to just be with one another. And I'm just gonna be upfront. Sabbath in practice at first is difficult, but when it becomes routine, you really start to yield some of the beauty of it. So. Routine has helped me in the temptation to remain uncommitted to the practice. And uh, I just, I don't know how else to say it, but when you surrender to the fact that we, I, need routine to position myself into something good, um, that's where you begin to experience the life of Sabbath in the midst of temptation to not do it. Now we're ready to continue our practice. Remember, each session's exercises are designed to build on top of each other. So keep doing what you started in session one. This week, we have two very simple and yet very fun exercises for your weekly Sabbath. Number one, plan a Sabbath feast. Ideally, do this together with people around you or your small group or your family, whether it's 20 people or a giant cookout in your backyard or just one or two close friends, plan out a meal together, cook or order your favorite food, make sure there's dessert. Don't forget, this is an incredible chance to practice hospitality. If you have a home or apartment, host. If you know how to cook, use your skills. If you know people who don't have community or family, Bring them in. Mm. Reach across the lines that divide society, socioeconomical, race, politics. Whether you have too little or too much, this is an invitation for all of us. Jesus' dream is for our dining room table to look as diverse and beautiful as the kingdom of God, Mm -hmm. where every tribe, tongue, and nation is on display. When you invite people to a table of rest and a community of rest, you create Sabbath delight for others. For people who don't have what you have, 
resource community abundance. They get a taste of God's Sabbath and an invitation to his family. We recommend you follow a basic Sabbath ritual. Light two candles, one for remember, one for observe. Read a psalm or liturgy like the ones we have for you in the Sabbath meditation companion book. Bless the kids if they're there. Bless one another. Pray, feast, share highlights of the week. Share what you're grateful for or our practice of Dayenu. It would have been enough, but... And then just celebrate life together. But that's just a recommendation. Do it however you want. The second exercise is pleasure stacking. Make a list of a few of your favorite things and plan to do one to three of them during your Sabbath. Here's a few ideas. Eat your favorite treat. Have a dance party. Play music. Get coffee with your best friend. Make love to your spouse. Take a walk. Nap. Open a good bottle of wine. Do your nails or favorite self-care activity. Go fishing or surfing or swimming. Work out. You get the idea. Whatever brings you life and joy, that's what you do this day. For those of you doing the reach exercise in the guide, this week's exercise is the Sabbath box, where you get a little box, and to begin your Sabbath, you put in anything that would keep you from Sabbath delight. For me, it's my keys, wallet, phone, as well as write out any fears, sorrow, or things you do not get done. Say a brief prayer, giving it all over to God's care, and then put the box away for your Sabbath as an embodied act of trust in God. Then, as always, we have a companion podcast for you to listen to, as well as reading part three of Sabbath by Dan Allender. And for all of you, don't forget to fill out your practice reflection after your Sabbath, but before you come back together for your final session. May this coming Sabbath be the most joyful one yet. May the God of rest fill you with his peace and presence as you rest in him. Thank you.